starting a new series about faith in practice, faith in practice. And our text today comes from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. I want to read just the first verse and then interrupt myself and then I'll get to the rest of it. Luke 18, 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an interesting question, and it's probably not the question that we would ask. We don't really use the language of inherit eternal life like that. We would probably ask something more about heaven. I'm going to talk about why we tend to use that language as the sermon goes on. But think about what answer you would give for that question. If someone were to ask you, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get in on this Christian thing? What would your answer to that person be? Now let's hear what Jesus, our Savior and Lord, says. Who does not lay out a prayer of salvation, talk about who you have to believe, but talks about action. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and follow you. And he said, truly I say to you, there is one who has left house and wife and brothers or parents or child for the sake of the kingdom of God. Um, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here ends the reading of God's word. Now think about it. If you were asked this question, if most Christians were asked this question about what must you do to inherit eternal life, this is probably not the answer that we would give. Here's all the commandments. Probably you should sell all your stuff. Okay, that's not really a faith we have bought into, right? And yet that is Jesus' answer to this question. So, is Jesus wrong? Or do we in some way have a little bit of an understanding of our faith backwards? Let me ask you another way. What is the Christian faith? I mean, fundamentally, what is it that we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus? What defines us as a faith? If aliens were to come down right now, and they came to planet Earth, and it was Sunday morning, and they happened to pop in at New Brighton, Pennsylvania, and they came into Westminster Church, and they said, what are you all doing here? What would your answer fundamentally be about what the Christian faith really is? In fact, I don't want this to be hypothetical. Take one minute and turn next to the people around you or somebody with you and talk about 
How would you define the Christian faith? If you had to tell an alien what the faith was in a sentence or two, what is it really, really about? Go. Out loud, not telepathically. You can do it. Okay, what do you think? Anybody got an answer? What is a Christian faith at its core? What is it really about? Jesus. Jesus, okay. Joy. Loving one another. Loving, okay. So we got, there's a little bit different answer now. We got something more about other people than just Jesus. What else? Service. Service. Okay. A little tricky question, huh? I mean, what is it at its core? And I think how you answered this is kind of important. Really, there, there's three, and I'm getting to this now. There's three real big pieces of uh, the Christian faith, okay? One is a sense of belonging, that we belong, okay? That we would say Jesus died for our sins, right? That we are part of something bigger. We're part of God's work in this world. And because we're part of God's work, we're also part of each other. There's a sense of belonging in the Christian faith. There's also, and you guys said it, a sense of behavior, right? There's certain expectations. There's certain things we need to do. Certain things we need to live out, right? Uh, Loving each other. Serving one another. Living with a certain amount of joy. One of the things you didn't say was a lot of the behaviors of Christians, right? Worship, prayer, Bible study. Okay, there's all these things that we do because we belong. Everybody with me so far? And there's a third set that I was called belief. Believe. Okay? You, there's certain beliefs that you are part of in the Christian faith. So, uh, we define those in certain ways. Um, that Jesus really was fully God, fully human. This idea of a trinity, all of these things. Okay, we have belonging, behaving, and believing. And as a Christian faith, it's really all three of those things. But I think that actually there's a priority. There's an order to these things. Which one of these is really the start of our faith? And I'm convinced that Christians over the last 400 years have primarily talked about our faith as a faith of beliefs. Okay, we primarily said, okay, if you want to be a Christian, here's the things you have to believe, here's the way you have to act, and then if you believe what we believe and you act the way we think you should act, then you can belong. You can join our church, we can call you part of our faith, and then if somebody doesn't believe the right things or believes something different than what we have, Um, we say, no, 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 you're not a part of what we're doing. But I think that the order we've been using and prioritizing our faith in is wrong. I think we have have not just started with belief, we've kind of moved belief to the forefront where these other things are not as important. And we have Christians that believe all the right things but never read their Bible or pray and they never have a sense of belonging, okay? And, And I think... It's backwards. I think our faith starts here. Starts with a sense of belonging. Starts with a set of practices related to that belonging. And our beliefs follow behind, actually. Let me try to explain it with an analogy. Have you ever fallen in love? Have you ever fallen in love? You start dating somebody. 
And you sort of, okay, now I'm not dating anybody else. We start to belong a little bit together. We start to see each other as a group. We start, we start to go places. And we start to, uh, to hang out. We go out for movies. We go out to dinner. And we do... And then it's funny how later on you start to define what you believe about the relationship. You never notice that? Like the, the language of the relationship comes much later. I can remember, I've got permission to tell these stories. Okay, I can remember Manny and I, we were out with some friends uh, the summer we started dating. And uh, we had been hanging out almost every day. We were, we were hang- it was like really early in the morning, a bunch of us were, at, were out in some field looking up the stars. And Manny and I were holding hands. So we're laying there holding hands, looking up at the stars. And I, le- I looked over and I said, so, are we like a thing now? Okay, we're holding hands, right? We're way past thing, but we had never actually talked about it. We'd never defined it. And she said, well, I guess we never really made it official. And I, I kind of sat up and I said, well then, will you date me? She said, yes. And I did, I, I, I did that too. Uh, we defined it. See, we were already feeling those things. We were already together. We were already starting to belong together. We already had a lot of behaviors together, including holding hands. And finally, we were like, okay, we need some language and some belief behind what we're experiencing. Okay, I, I remember with, with Mandy, Mandy was the first one to say I love you, and she said it accidentally. No joke. She's on the phone with me. She's at a worship conference in Dallas, Texas, and uh, kind of towards the end of the phone call, she, she's like, oh, okay, well, I love you. And then she panicked because she used the L word. She was like, I gotta go by. She hung up the phone real fast. I thought, how do I interpret that? We use the L word and then you hung up. <laughs> she accidentally said, I love you. Why? Because she was feeling it. And the language followed. Everybody, everybody tracking this? The language follows. Okay, if we get this backwards, then we start trying to talk about language that we're not experiencing. It's like trying to define love and really care about love when you've never felt it, you've never gone on a date. Okay, the language follows. And the Christian faith is like that. When Jesus answers this question, he says, you know what, you gotta, you gotta have some behavior issues. And when he, when, he, when he lists all the commandments, Jesus lists the commandments there, he skips over the, the first commandment to love the Lord your God, have no other idols before you. Why? Because he knows this rich man has a problem. Okay? He belongs to his stuff. He doesn't belong to Jesus. And what he knows is this guy has got to get back to the belonging and the behaving. That's certainly the way the Jewish faith was. In the Jewish faith, you were primarily uh, a part of the community. And little boys, when they were born, were circumcised. And as they got older, the boys and girls were made part of the community. And if you were going to be Jewish, guess what? You weren't going to eat certain foods. And you were going to pray so many times a day. You were going to pray certain prayers. And what's interesting in the Jewish faith, and I, I every summer do some work in an Orthodox Jewish camp. So with, with people who are Jewish who are like seriously Jewish. Not Reformed Jewish. They're still following a lot of the rules. They're wearing, wearing yarmulkes, wearing prayer shawls, girls in skirts. Um, it's a strange camp to eat at because they, 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 they're following the dietary laws. And do you know, in the Jewish faith, rabbis disagree a lot on the beliefs. They actually disagree a fair amount on what the Bible says and how to interpret certain rules. In Jesus' day, it is the same as today. What, how, how much 
can you walk? How much work can you do on a Sunday and it be sin? Well, rabbis debated that. Why? Because for the Jewish faith, this followed these things. I think it's part of the Pharisee problem. The Pharisee reversed this. They really wanted the right beliefs and these other things kind of weren't primary. Now, the order, belong, behave, believe. And I, I think this is the Jewish way. I think the Christian way is to prioritize these and have this one follow. But over time, as Christians, we kind of got this backwards. First of all, when the faith became less Jewish and more Roman, this started to happen. Okay, we can kind of follow it in the early church. That as the Jewish, as the faith moved and became less Jewish, as the Jews were kicked out of Israel and their temple was destroyed, they got to a Roman world. And when you think about the Greco-Roman world, it's much more of an idea, much more philosophy. And Christianity sort of moved this way as uh, in those first couple hundred years. And as the church started to try to define its faith a little bit, okay, as the church started to say, okay, how do we, how do we think about this trinity? How do we understand Jesus? And it takes a couple hundred years before they figure out, here's the language for Trinity we're going to use. Here's what we're going to believe about Jesus. And even then, they were debating. They were trying to describe what they were experiencing and what they were reading about in the Bible. I think this move from belief following to belief being central also happens as we switch from a middle age faith to an Enlightenment faith. Okay? In the Middle Ages, people don't have Bibles. Okay? And they're, they're scared. There's a, it's, a fa- it's a time of fear because of the plagues, because so many people are dying, not just from plagues, but from all kinds of illnesses. And they just want a simple faith. And then the Enlightenment happens. And people start thinking, and people start thinking differently. And, and Martin Luther and the Reformers start to think about things. And then our faith, as it becomes more thinking, also becomes more diverse. Okay, in the Middle Ages, there's just one church, really. You got Orthodox, but they're not around very much in Europe. You just really have the Catholic Church. But when you get the Protestants, they start to say, okay, all right, so we're not Catholic anymore, but what, what are we going to believe? And they start really defining their belief, and people start reading the Bible. Some of, a lot of the priests, for the first time, are reading their Bibles because they can get them printed from a printing press. And now they can get them in their own language. And the faith becomes more about belief. You get these things called denominations, which are actually really weird historically, where we all fight over our beliefs, right? Do you know that, do you know that about 100 years ago, there were maybe there were less than 2,000 denominations? Now there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of denominations. You just praise God you're in the right one, right? Because all those other people, they got this wrong. See, it's silly. We all have to fight over our beliefs. We orient ourselves towards our differences. And then a big shift happened here in the last century where the world that so many Christians were fighting for, so many Christians were trying to make the world a better place. And you know what happened? A really bad depression and a world war. And as much as everybody thought the world would get better and get better and get better, all of a sudden, squash, it got worse. And what Christians started doing was stop talking about the earth. And they started talking about Christianity more as just believe this, pray this prayer, and get yourself to heaven. Just get out of here. And of course, that ignores the fact in the Bible that we don't stay in heaven. We come back to a new earth that Christ remakes. 
but it also ignores our world. And so we have Christians who, you know what's most important? You just got to believe, you got to pray this prayer. And if you just get the prayer right, it doesn't really matter what else you do, you're in. And yet, the Christian faith has always been about so much more than just praying a prayer and just believing something about Jesus. It, it's so much more than that. I'm not saying that beliefs aren't important. Beliefs are very important. But they're not, they're not the core. What your beliefs do is they give you the language to describe the faith that you're living. Okay? It's like Nanny and I holding hands and defining the relationship. Okay? You start to get to know God. start to experience God. You find Him in His Word. You talk to Him in prayer. And then you say, all right. Now this God is coming at me kind of three ways. I got like this God that's sort of planning over everything. And God that's really with me. And, and Jesus that really sacrificed for me. And, and the church comes along and says, yeah. That's called a trinity. And the trinity will help you in your faith. The problem is, if, if it's all about this, then this doesn't actually matter because you're not experienced. It, it really is. It's like trying to describe love and fight over the, differ, di- the difference in love when you've never been on a date. You've never seen anybody steady. It's like people who... Uh, have you ever had these people that give you advice on your marriage they have been married like five times? Okay? I don't want, your def- I don't want you to tell me about marriage. You failing at this four times doesn't make you an expert. You want to tell me about weddings? You're probably good at those now. But marriages, see, we've got a lot of Christians that say, oh, I got all the beliefs right. Let me tell you how it is. But they don't, because they, they, it's not based in this. And the statistics prove out that most Christians do not actually read their Bible, and most Christians do not actually pray. So we have defined our belief. We, we've made some major mistakes here. Number one, we, we've defined our belief really based on our intellect, on our thinking. Okay? And uh, the problem is that belief in the Bible is so much more than that. If you go to the book of Acts, you're going to find this same basic question by a jailer. And uh, he says, what must I do to be saved? And they actually give the answer that we would probably give first, which is you've got to believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Okay, that's a little more comfortable. But then you know what they do? They baptize him and his whole household. They bring him into the community and they start to teach them the ways of following Jesus. To believe is not just to know up here, it's to live. It's not head, it's heart and hands. Sometimes the head gets in the way. We've, number two, we tend to define discipleship this way. When you think of a disciple, you probably think of somebody who knows what their teacher told them. But that is not what a disciple is. In the Jewish faith, a disciple is someone who follows the rabbi. That's what Jesus said. doesn't say, come and uh, learn what I want to tell you. He says, follow me. Come follow me. You, your job was to copy your rabbi. So if you're a disciple, you're not a disciple because you know stuff. You're a disciple because you do stuff. Number three, we now have Christians who don't have practices. We have church... But the church over its history has developed certain behaviors and said, hey, you know what? If you worship, it's going to help your faith. And if you pray, it's going to help your faith. And we got this whole Bible thing. If you read that Bible, it's going to help your faith. But we have Christians that think they've got it all together that don't ever do that. That don't ever read their Bible, don't ever pray. And if you're a Christian that doesn't pray or does not read your Bible, but you have it all right, you have it all wrong. Okay? Christian faith is about practices. Number four, because of this, the world actually seems to understand this. 
Okay? If you want to get a part of a new job, you got a new job and there's certain expectations that you have to follow. Okay? The world is very good at getting us to belong and behave to it. And the Bible, again and again, is critiquing. No, you're not of this world. You're of the world to come. You're in this world, but you're not of it. And so the world has got this figured out. We've got Christians that supposedly believe what, what they're supposed to believe, and they look exactly like the world. They look exactly like the world. You see this in divorce rates. I don't know if you've seen this. About half of all divorces, uh, all marriages end in divorce. Okay? And when you, they stay, when they poll Christians, they say, oh, all the Christians are about the same. About half of all Christian divorces end in divorce. But if you actually look, that's people that define themselves as Christians. I believe that. Yeah, yeah, that's me. And I divorce the same right. But if you add up any behavior, if you look at Christians who go to church, you look at Christians that pray, you look at Christians that read their Bible, their uh, divorce rate is much, much, much lower. Why? Because belief doesn't change your marriage. Actions and belonging do. Okay? And the belief supports. So we got a lot of Christians that think they've got the right idea and they're jerks about it. Okay? They think they got the right idea and they've never experienced it for themselves. They don't really have it grounded. Number five, I think the church has become a place for people who belong and act the way they're supposed to or believe and behave the way they're supposed to. And if you're a person that doesn't quite fit in, the church has no place for you. Have you ever been a part of these churches? Oh, you better not drink. You better not play cards. Right? You better believe exactly what we believe about theology or you can't come here. And no wonder there's a bunch of Christians out there, a bunch of people out there that don't come to church because, because we're trying to demand that they believe what we believe and behave the way we want them to behave. And what they really need is a belonging to get them there. Number six, we fight about the beliefs and we can't be in relationship. We have churches that are so focused on this that if you don't believe that, we cannot be friends. We can't be friends. We can't go to church together. We can't do anything together. We get denominational split after denominational split because our belonging to Christ and to each other isn't primary. Our beliefs are. So we fight over our beliefs instead of saying, no, 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 no. We're going we're to disagree. And we might disagree really aggressively, but we still belong together. And we have certain practices that help bring us together. We are in a world that is crying out for belonging, crying out for a different way of living. The world doesn't want right beliefs. Okay? People that are affected by this hurricane, they don't want theology. Okay? What they need is a blanket and a toothbrush. They need help. This world that everybody's on Facebook and everybody's on their cell phones and they're, these are people that need to belong to something. Something bigger than themselves to find a place of home. One of the things that's been really neat about our church is that you can find a home here. I look out and I see some pretty strange characters out there. And you can be yourself and be a part of this. I think we're actually pretty strong at this. The world needs the belonging and the behavior that we have. And we keep trying to throw beliefs at them. But the beliefs come later. Come here, be crazy, and eventually you're going to start having some of those conversations. Which leads me to the crux of this sermon and what I want to cover in the next two weeks. If you are going to be a Christian, 
you got to belong. you got to be here. you got to be part of the community. I would love to work with you on your beliefs, but here, here's the real problem for Christians today. They don't have the behavior. Okay, when's the last time you read your Bible? Where's your Bible? Do you know where it is? Is there a layer of dust on it? Is it under a bunch of other stuff? When's the last time you picked up God's Word? If you're a, pra- if you're a Christian, you've got you to be in that. When's the last time you prayed more than thank you for this food? When's the last time you really took something before God in prayer? So in the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about how to read your Bible. And then I'm going to spend a week talking about how to pray. Because as Christians and as a church, we have got to be people who not only belong, but behave. We have to get into the practices. It's a relationship supported by practices. Okay? If you want to feel God's love, and you want to understand God's love, you got to date. you got to be with Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to practice our faith. Not just believe it, not just in our head, but Lord, to really do what uh, we're supposed to do, which is to follow Your will. In Jesus' name, Amen.